Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, hear the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. I don't even remember what course it was, but I was taking an online course, and so we had to do these chats with other members of the course around the country or wherever they were, and somehow the topic turned to child-rearing, to the education of children. And there was a woman in the class who was very opinionated, had very strong ideas about how to raise children. And she made a number of pronouncements that we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that. And she was very much opposed to home education. And and she said the children don't turn out right when you do that. And she had all sorts of really strong ideas. And then as we chatted, somebody asked her about her children. And then she said, well, I don't have any yet. And... um, Those of us who were already parents refrained, but I was very tempted to write something like, well, enjoy this time of expertise, because once you have children, you will find out that you are not so expert after all. These conversations about raising children are always kind of difficult and awkward, because we parents are both defensive about our child-rearing, and also often deeply insecure. And the reason is because the stakes are so high. We really want to get it right. But at the same time, we're not sure that we're getting it right. And there is often evidence in our families that we're not getting it right. And so what we're doing this morning is we're going to look to God's word to see two sides of what a spirit filled family looks like. And I say spirit filled family because this is a continuation of what we saw in chapter five, where Paul said not to be drunk with wine back in verse 18, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it talks about singing and making melody in our hearts, submitting to one one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it addresses relationships, wives and husbands, children and parents, servants and masters. And we're in that second section here with children and parents. And first he addresses children and then he addresses parents. Now, I want you to notice the children's section, which are the three verses, first three verses, and the parents' section is just one verse. But the children's section also has implications for parents. And I want you to notice something, that Paul addressed children in this letter, which means he assumed the children to be responsible agents to be able to respond to God's Word, and he also assumed that they were present, they were part of the congregation. And they would be hearing this instruction as this letter would be read to the congregation. And he gives a command that nobody would be surprised about, 
basically from any time or any place in the world, that children should obey their parents. That is common instruction all over the world. Um, uh, among Jews or Christians or anyone else, there is this, this idea that children should obey their parents. But here, this instruction takes on a, a specifically Christian uh, idea or Christian uh, context to it, because it says, Obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. And the Lord generally refers to the Lord Jesus. And so, uh, this instruction is, is coated with, surrounded by, infused with instruction about Jesus and who He is. Uh, in Colossians, there's a parallel text to this. It looks like Paul wrote these letters about the same time from the same place. And in Colossians 3.20, he says it this way, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So, this instruction is within the context of a Christian family, and it's in the context of, of the desire to please the Lord. Now, the instruction is simple, right? Children, do what your parents say. Children, obey your parents. Um, there's a, a book that came out after after it would have been useful for us, because we had already uh, done a lot of our, our child rearing by the time Shepherding a Child's Heart came out by Ted Tripp. But he helpfully identifies the, the goal of obedience by giving it some definition. And he says, uh, I think helpfully, that obedience means that children should do what parents say without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. Without challenge without excuse, and without delay. And so now that, I, that's just ramped it up significantly, hasn't it? If that's the definition of, of, um, of obedience. So the goal is for parents to state what their children should do clearly once, and the children should do it. Or if it happens to be a prohibition, state clearly what their children should not do once, and they don't do it. Now, that means, implication for parents, is that we should not give orders lightly. Because once we say something to do or not to do, then we have to back it up. And we have to discipline if there is disobedience to it. So, so parents need to be very careful with uh, what we tell our kids to do or not to do. And obedience is the goal of approximately the first six to eight years of life. Some children learn obedience more quickly than others, but with careful application, the idea is that children will learn obedience during their first six to eight years of life, and then they move into another stage that we'll get to uh, in, in a little bit. Now, this text says that there are three reasons attached to obedience. And children often ask the question, right? When parents say uh, say something to do, the children say what? Why? Well, there are three reasons why in this text. And the first reason is that it is right. For this is right. Now, Paul doesn't explain what he means by right, but we could fill that in, couldn't we? There are a lot of obvious reasons why it's right. 
Well, it's right because the parents take care of the children. It's right because the parents love the children. It's right because the parents know better than the children do. It's right because the parents are charged with taking care of and guiding the children. There are all sorts of reasons why it's right. That's the first one. But but part of that, or related to that, in addition to that, is that it is it is enforced with one of the Ten Commandments. And it's right because it is part of the Ten Commandments. And here, Paul mentions that. Honor your father and mother. This is the, the fifth commandment. And then there's a statement here. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, now notice something here. Notice something. That the commandment doesn't say, obey your parents. The commandment says, honor your parents. But the first stage of honoring them is this obedient stage. There will be other stages of how to honor your parents because that obedient stage doesn't last their whole lives. And there are some cultures that need to learn that. There are some cultures in which the parents exercise authority over the children their whole lives, even if the children are parents and grandparents themselves. But that's not the scriptural goal. Uh, This obedience phase is temporary. It is while they are under the care of their parents. But it's interesting that the commandment is broader. Honoring them will look differently later, but what it looks like now for children under the roof of their parents, it looks like obedience. Prompt obedience without challenge, without excuse. Now, that's the second. So, one, it's right. Two, it is enforced by one of the Ten Commandments. And three, there is a promise attached to it. Verse two, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is appealing to the child's self-interest. This is saying it is good, it is not only right for you to obey, and that's sort of hard to take sometimes. It is not only a commandment that you obey, and that's also because of rebellion in our hearts. That's hard to take sometimes as well. But this last one appeals to the children and says it is good for you to obey. This is the best thing for you to learn to obey because there is a promise attached to obedience to parents. And that is that it may go well with you, that your life will be good, that your life will be better, and that your life will be long in the land. Now, this this statement that's placed here as a parenthesis in this translation, this is the first commandment with a promise, has raised some questions. Because some people read the second commandment and find a promise there, and they say, wait a minute, this is not the first one with a commandment, but I think if you if you carefully read the second commandment, it's not so much a promise, it's simply a statement of what the Lord will do. And so this is the first one with a, with a, a true promise, but then there is the question of, well, wait a minute, If it's the first one with a promise, it's really the only one with a promise in the Ten Commandments. But then we can take in the rest of the commandments outside of the commandments and say this is the first. Others read it like this. This is the primary commandment for you children. This is the primary thing that you need to be focused on. This is your your first commandment, your primary commandment in this stage of your life. Now, along with other Jews of his time, um, Paul... Paul extended this promise. If you go back to the commandment in, uh, in Exodus 20 or in Deuteronomy 5, 
you will find that it says, so that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Specifically related to the promised land, but you'll see that Paul had, has, has taken off that last part and that he has generalized it. And he's not the only one. The Jews did this as well. After the question of the land where they were going to live was settled, and additionally, as they were spread out to many lands... They generalized this promise to say that not just in the promised land, but wherever, wherever the people of God might be, there is this promise attached to it. Now, like the promises of wisdom literature, this promise expresses the typical result, the typical result of obedience to parents. But we can come up with what we would consider to be counterexamples We can come up with examples of obedient children who do not live long on the earth. And so this is the the tendency of obedience, and this is how wisdom literature tends to work. It, It gives the general principle, it gives the direction, it gives the general result, and the general result of obedience to parents is longer life and better life on the earth. Now, that's the part for the children. And the the parents come in with just one one verse, in verse 4. Now, we should note something in verse 4 that it says, fathers, fathers. If you look at verse 1, it says, children, obey your parents, and then it defines those parents as father and mother. And then in verse 4, it says, fathers. Now, as in English, so in Greek, there's a word for parents, and there's a word for fathers. But the word for fathers can also be generic and include fathers and mothers. But it looks like, by using these two different words here, Paul is focusing on the fathers, the male fathers, the dads. That is not to exclude the mothers, but rather to enforce upon the fathers that child-rearing is their job. Because in too many cultures... The fathers abdicate that responsibility and give that over to the mothers, and the fathers do the providing and other things in, in, in societies where there are very uh, stereotyped or very typical roles. But, but Paul is breaking some of that here, and he's saying, fathers, dads, this is on you. This is your responsibility to prepare your children. Now, we should notice something also here. And this comes from the instruction to children. And this is important. We should note that our children's obedience is for their good. It's for their good. It's not for our good. Now, in the long run, their obedience will make our lives better. But in the short run, it's easy to overlook things just to keep some level of domestic tranquility. It's it's easy to forego the difficult process of disciplining our children simply to keep some peace. But we need to remember in those moments, in those moments, that we are not working for our current peace. We are working for the long-term well-being of our children. This is not for our good, it is for their good, which in turn eventually will be for our good as well. So we need to keep that long-term goal in mind when we are exhausted, when we are sick, 
when we are worn out, when we are busy, and we would just rather not deal with it right now. Well, we need to keep their long-term good in mind. Now, um, the, the text here... The text here says that the main thing that we should do is to nurture. Nurture. Now, first though, before talking about nurture, it talks about what we should not do. So there's a prohibition, and then there is a, a command. The first prohibition is this, or the prohibition is, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, I know in the hands of a number of children... They have said, thrown this in their parents' faces and said, you should not do anything that makes me angry. And it can't possibly mean that. But what it means is that we should not do anything that results in a disheartening of our children, that crushes them or enrages them um, by being a number of different things ourselves. If you go to the the Colossians, the Colossians passage helps us here because Colossians 3.21 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't don't take the heart out of your children, fathers. Don't, Don't kick the life out of your children. Don't treat them in such a way that they become disheartened. And, and there are many ways that parents can do that. There are many ways that parents can enrage and dishearten our children. Excessive severity will do that, as will excessive indulgence, on the other hand. Uh, harshness or leniency, abuse, ridicule, favoritism, lack of encouragement, arbitrariness, unfairness, neglect, nagging, condemnation, humiliation. All of these things are ways that we can provoke our children to anger and to cause them to become disheartened. And unfortunately, it was easy for me to come up with this list, uh, looking at some of my own failures. Now, one of the principles of disciplining our children is this, to discipline them well. And we'll talk about discipline in just a minute. But to discipline our children well, we first need to discipline ourselves. That's, that's a principle of discipline. Parents first need to be self-disciplined in order to discipline our children. Because angry, out-of-control parents tend to produce angry, out-of-control children or broken, demoralized children. And that's the prohibition. And he's saying this to fathers. He's saying, fathers, be careful not to do this to your children. What's the positive command? The positive command is to nurture them, to nurture them. We've already seen this this word, nurture, in chapter 5, verse 29. It says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes. This is the word, nourishes. Nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So Paul uses the same word for how fathers should treat their children, as he used for how we naturally treat our own bodies, for how husbands should treat their wives, and for how Christ treats the church. Nourishment. And this covers two aspects. It covers positive instruction and it covers 
correction. If you look at the two words he uses here, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And these two words are, are overlapping words, but they do include these, these two aspects. They include the ongoing positive instruction and training of our children. And they also include the correction and the chastisement of our children when that is necessary. Now, um, there are two methods that are, are in the Bible. One of them is throughout the Scripture, very, very clear. Another one is emphasized more in the Old Testament and may be implicit in the New Testament, but it's never specifically mentioned in the New Testament. But it's probably implicit in the idea of discipline. And those are words, communication. That's the constant one. That's the, the, the main way of educating our children. And the other is corporal punishment, or what we call spanking. Now, um, I, I know that as soon as I mention this latter one, that, that people have reactions to it. And I understand that because it can be and has been and is used in abusive ways. But I just want to say this. There is no method of training more abused than words. Than words. And so, uh, it's not an argument against a method that it can be abused. Rather, we need to see what are biblical methods and how to use them lovingly and effectively. We knew a man, and I think you'll be able to relate to this, we knew a man when we were in Guadalajara. He was from Ireland. His wife was from Scotland. And I think we knew them when they were in their 70s and 80s and uh, we used to have them over for lunch, and then she died, and then we would have him over regularly for lunch. And he loved to tell stories in his, his Irish accent about the old country. And he would tell about his family life, which was fascinating to us. And he told once a story that has never left me. He told about how his father had a hardware store. And he asked him, when he was a young boy, to to help him do inventory in the hardware store. And so he gave his young son a pad of paper and a pencil, and he said, I'm going to, going to tell you the name of the, the, the tool and tell you how many there are, and when I tell you a second time, you just write down a hash, and, and you'll keep the number of how many there are. And so he started, and he said, uh, a screwdriver, and then um, wrench, and then he would say, then the father would say, ditto. And then he'd go to, let's say, pliers. Ditto. Ditto. And so the young son dutifully wrote down screwdriver, wrench, pliers, ditto. And then finally, he said, Dad, you have a lot of dittos. You have a lot of dittos in the, in the store here. And his father, understanding that the inventory was completely ruined, exploded at his son. Now, this was a while ago, this was back in Ireland, and I am certain that that father used corporal punishment on that son. But what was still smarting, what was still hurting this 80-year-old man to that day was the verbal abuse that his father poured upon him because of his simple ignorance as a young boy. 
So that's what we want to avoid. And we, we need not to discard any biblical method of discipline because it can be abused. Because all of us, I think, can relate to that man. All of us can think back to words that were spoken in anger against us when we were young. Or we can think, if we're parents, with horror of words that we spoke in anger against our own children when they were young. You see, this is what we need to avoid. And we need to learn to use these tools that God has given us. Words and, as appropriate, corporal punishment, backed up always by this, backed up always by the personal example of integrity and love. Now, if the child learns obedience during the first years, early on, the correction stage falls away. And any need for for chastisement disappears because the child has learned the simple lesson of obedience. Now we're ready for lesson number two. And this is the second stage of educating our children. And that is the wisdom stage. As they enter into pre-adolescence and as they enter into adolescence, it's no longer a question of obeying or disobeying because they've already learned how to do that. Now we go on to the wisdom stage. The chastisement falls away little by little. And we're able to invest more and more in the the deeper instruction of our children. I already read the first verses of Proverbs in our Old Testament reading, but I want you to to look at some of these words that are part of the the instruction stage of the wisdom, the wisdom stage. Wisdom, instruction, righteousness, wise dealing, justice, equity, prudence, knowledge, discretion, learning, understanding understanding, guidance, the fear of the Lord. You see, this is advanced training of our children. But it doesn't work well if still as pre-adolescents and as adolescents they are disobeying the parents. That's why it's so important in the early stages to teach obedience to be able to go on to this stage of wisdom. And I remember it was sometimes frustrating for my my daughters as we got into this stage. More and more I would throw it back on them when they were teenagers. Dad, should I do this? Should I not do this? And instead of just giving uh, an answer to them, I'd say, what do you think? Dad, just tell me. What do you think? You see, it would have been easier for them if I would have just told them, then they could have just obeyed it, and then if they didn't like it, they could blame me. But I put it back on them and said, well, what do you think? Let's think this through. Let's let's think about scriptural principles here. How might you apply this in your life? And they weren't always up for that, that wisdom training in the moment. When they just wanted to know what to do or not to do. But you see, that's that's the next stage of teaching them wisdom. And the final the final stage is independence. Do you remember back in Genesis 2.24? For this reason, a man will do what? Leave. Leave. His father and his mother. And you know what? Once they leave, do you know what they'll do? Anything they want. Anything they want to do. That's why towards the end of the wisdom training, we should be able to say to them, son, daughter, do whatever you want. 
Because in a very short time, guess what? That's what they're going to do. And our hope and prayer is that as they do whatever they want, what they want will be wisdom and prudence and equity and and discipline and learning and love and the fear of the Lord. Now, this all brings us the the commands to children, the commands to parents, it brings us all back to a need that both children and parents have. And that is this, to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And you'll see that this text starts with, in the Lord, and it ends with, of the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, in the Lord, verse 1, of the Lord, verse 4. Now, in the obedience stage of child-rearing, what will come out of children's hearts? Rebelliousness. Rebellion will come out of their hearts. The parents will say, do, and they will say, no. And the parents will say, do not do, and they will say, yes. So rebelliousness will come out of their hearts and it will become very apparent to them that that is in their hearts and it will be very, very apparent to the parents. In the wisdom stage, in the wisdom stage, what will come out of the child's heart? Foolishness. Foolishness will come out. When, when the, the path of wisdom is laid out before them and they take another path and often suffer the consequences they will begin to say, why did I do that? Where did that come from? And they will be forced back upon the, the, the stark and startling answer that it came out of their own hearts. Now, this is a good thing. The rebellion is not a good thing. The foolishness is not a good thing. But these are good evidences when the child begins to see these. Why? Because this will enable the child to begin to see his or her need of Jesus. Why am I so rebellious? And is there a cure for my rebellion? Why am I so foolish? And is there a cure for my foolishness? Is there anyone who can help me because I don't seem to be able to help myself? And you see, parents, these are the moments... These are the occasions in which we apply the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to their little hearts or to their adolescent hearts. You see, and parents often miss these opportunities. When the child recognizes his failure, the child can say, See, I told you so. Obey me better the next time. When it's an opportunity to dig down deep and say, Son, daughter, from where did that come? Why did you do that? How does this feel? What's going on inside of you? Would you like help for this? Well, there's a Savior who came for your rebellion and who came for my rebellion. And He died for us that He might forgive us and change us. And when the adolescent says, Dad, I can't believe I did that. I was so foolish. And we say to her, where did that come from, that foolishness? And and she recognizes that it, it came out of her heart. It says, I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to harm myself and to harm others with foolishness. How can I get help, Dad? Mom? And we say, go to Jesus. Do you remember the three, three things we've said in these three sermons? Have children, if you're legitimately able to have children. Last week, lead your children to Jesus. And now we're seeing moments in which you can do that. 
when their own sin, when their rebellion, when their foolishness is exposed to themselves and to you, apply the gospel to them. These are the moments, these are apt moments for preaching the gospel to them. But also we parents, we need the Lord. It says, it says we should bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We can't do that unless we have the Lord. We can't, we can't be Christian parents if we're not Christians. We can't instruct our children in that which we have not experienced. So we need the Lord to be Christian parents. The only other time that this word translated discipline here shows up in Paul's writings is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for discipline or training in righteousness. The only two times that Paul uses this word, one referring to what parents do with their children and the other referring to the Word of God. Let's put these together. Whatever you might teach your children, whatever kind of educational opportunities you give to your children, your main tool for raising your children is the Bible. It's the Word of God. And when... When somebody asks your children, as they become older, who taught you the Bible? Where did you learn so much about the Bible? The answer should be, well, mom and dad taught me the Bible. You see, that's our main tool, parents, to bring our children to Jesus. It's the Word. And the other thing is this. It's prayer. It's prayer. There's a verse that that comforts me. It's in Hebrews. And I don't know that this is the, the, the point of it, but it comforts me, perhaps, perhaps in a backhanded way. And here it's talking about sons being disciplined by their father, and it assumes that all, all fathers will do that. And it says that God's a father, and He does that for us. And then... It says in verse 9, besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. You see... It says that we human parents, what do we do? We do what we can. We do what seems best to us. And if we're Christian parents, we're we're, we're trying to do it according to God's Word. But even in the best of our moments, what are we doing? It says, well, we're doing as it seemed best. But, But that's not a hopeless idea. It's a hopeful idea. Because it says this, that, that we parents discipline for a short time as it seems best to us. But He, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. You see, what's going to make our children holy? God the Father is going to make our children holy. He's the one who disciplines them to produce in us and in them His holiness. So, What's that mean we should do? Apply the Word 
as best we can and pray and pray and pray that God would do this work in our children. Now, as you may be feeling right now, if you're a child or a parent, um, we parents make many mistakes. And so we need to hear and believe the good news for ourselves constantly, even as we preach it to our children. Some of my biggest regrets in life are my rebellions and my foolishness as a son and my mistakes as a father. But I have been able to go to my parents and ask them to forgive me, and they have, and I have gone time and time again to my children and asked them to forgive me because I need the gospel as a son. I need the gospel as a dad. I need to be forgiven. I need to be restored. And all of us do. And the most amazing thing about the gospel is not only can we forgive one another, but the gospel says that God forgives us as well. The psalmist prayed, Remember not, this is a prayer. I I often pray as I remember. Remember not the sins of my youth. When they come back to haunt me, remember not the sins of my youth. And remember not the sins of my parenting either. So children, yeah, obey your parents. Parents, nurture your children. And children and parents... Believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that you are our Father, that we have the same privilege that Jesus has from all eternity. He calls you Father, and he taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven. And so we dare in Jesus' name to pray to you, Our Father in heaven again knowing that you discipline us to conform us to the image of Jesus and to make us holy. And we pray for our children, we pray for our parents, and we pray for our church as we nurture together the children you have entrusted to us, that we would not provoke them to anger, that we would bring them up in the nurture, the discipline, the admonition, the instruction of the Lord. And we pray for them that they would be obedient children, that they would be wise children, and that once they're independent, that they would walk with Christ and do better than we, that our children would would go beyond us and would take whatever we've been able to give them and would use it to glorify Jesus the rest of their lives. And we pray this in His name. Amen.